0: into the office and i walked in they said hey we got a group of uh disabled autistic students that are on a scavenger hunt and one of the things on their scavenger hunt that they got to do is uh they got to get a uh, uniformed law enforcement personnel to sing the national anthem with them in front of the sheriff's office door and uh, that was one of their check marks on the scavenger hunt and um real quick you found out um You know, a bunch of tough deputies, they're a bunch of wimps. (laughs) And uh, my sergeant, he's like, that's a hard no, I ain't doing it. And uh, one of the other deputies is like, "Uh uh-uh, ain't happening. And I said, well, you know what, Uh, I think we'll do it for the kids. And we went over there, and they're like 14, 16 years old. Got over there, and uh, unfortunately, one of uh, the students had it on his phone. And I knew that was going to be bad right out of the gate because he had like a professional recorded thing. But it started like, oh, say, I mean, it started on like the highest note I can sing to start with. And oh, my goodness, it was terrible. It, it was just terrible. We all tried to find a note. There are about six, eight of us trying to sing along. And, and I thought about it afterwards. And I said, you know, that that's really good that that happened because it's so easy to get an idea Uh, who we are in ourselves sometimes and how good we are sometimes we need a little jolt back to reality i got a little redemption though because a little while later the dispatch came back in and said hey guess what there's actually four teams and the second one just showed up we got to do it again and uh, they're in last place and everybody else left so it was me and two of the dispatch girls and the three kids that were there and uh, i said that's fine but we ain't using no music. <laughs> We're going to start on a note I can start with down here so when we end up at the land of the free, we don't sound like somebody slammed our finger in the door, and, uh, which is what it sounds like if you can't sing that high E or whatever it is. And, uh, but, but a lot of times in life, we get focused on how others will think of us, what people will see in us, what we sound like, are we doing a good job, not a good job, And uh, I'm reminded, and I'm going to bring us, by the way, start heading to Matthew if you would. Matthew chapter 6 for me. I'm reminded of the Father's love, of God's love. See, none of us made the grade, none of us were good enough to impress God for our salvation. None of us did enough good works. To let God overlook our sin. None of us have even come close to paying the price that Christ paid for us. And when I think about the father, it gives me a lot of hope. Because I know in my own life, as a father, I've made a lot of mistakes. I know there's a lot of times I wish I had done things better. I wish I had uh, given my kids a better direction and clearer Uh, direction to accomplish what they're trying to accomplish. Um, And as I looked at those kids who were challenged that were standing up there with me, they didn't care if we sang the wrong note. They didn't care at all. They were just happy they had someone's presence with them. They were happy someone would stand beside them and, and shoulder to shoulder and not above them and not looking down on them and not treating them like they're handicapped or treating them like they're less valuable of a person. And that, again, brought me back to the Father's love and his love for us. Because i got to think, from God's perspective, completely holy, completely righteous, all-knowing, all-present, everything that God is, we got to look pretty bad. None of us got a resume that's going to make it too far to heaven on its own weight and its own merit. But amazingly, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Amen. We love God not because we loved him first, but because he loved us first. He chose to do that. I'd like you to turn in your Bible, you're hopefully Matthew, if you're there, uh, chapter 6. We're going to go to verse 9. Actually, I'll read 8. So why don't you stand up with me? Get your Bible, let's all read this together, and even if you have a different version, just mumble when we get to the parts that are different. You'll never notice the difference, okay? Everyone knows the Lord's Prayer has heard it, and you probably have an idea of what it says within it, okay? But I want to give you a little perspective today that came to me this week as I was working. Jesus said, verse 8, Therefore, do not be like them. I don't hear anybody reading with me. What verse 8. Chapter 6, verse eight. verse 8. Start at verse 8. Here we go again. oh page flipped in the wind. Stand by. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask Him. In this manner, therefore, pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Okay, you can sit back down. Thank you. It's interesting in the Bible... I got to looking because I was curious about how this lays out. The word Father is used 1,126 times in the King James Version of the Bible. 970 different verses, the word Father is there. In the New Testament, 369 times in 326 verses it's used. What's interesting is there is a shift that happens in the book of Matthew as you go through the Gospels and as you continue through the New Testament there's a shift from the perspective that Israel had of God. They saw God as an unapproachable presence that dwelt in the Holy of Holies behind the veil. They couldn't go there. Moses could go into the tabernacle. They couldn't go into the tabernacle. Jesus, however, in Matthew, begins to give us a perspective of the Father that shows us his love, shows us his character, shows us his opportunity for us. In Matthew, 44 times, Jesus reminds us of his Father. He reminds us of our relationship with the Father and that dependence that that relation has on our relationship with Christ. You don't get to the Father by good works. You don't get to the Father by uh, being a nice person. You don't get to the Father because you you are goody-two-shoes. You don't get to the Father because you went to church all your life. You come to the Father through Christ. There is no other way of salvation through Christ. And Matthew repeats this over and over again. And it's in the words of Jesus in almost all of those times that the word Father comes out. And we begin to get a picture of the Father. Nineteen times in the book of Mark, Jesus reminds us that the Father's forgiveness comes with the acceptance of Christ's sacrifice. Is the Father's forgiveness of our sin that separated us from God, that orphaned us from God, that comes because of Christ's sacrifice and our acceptance of it. And in the book of Mark, you hear the heart cry of Jesus to his Father under the devastating weight of sin. Whose sin? My sin. Your sin. Our sin upon him. You hear him say, Abba, Father, if it's possible that this cup could pass from me. You hear the cry that Abba is Daddy, Daddy. It's a cry of intimate Personal relationship of father and son. In the book of Luke, 21 times we find the word father. Jesus gives us a powerful reminder of the father's love, his father's love for us, and how it relates to us in the parable of the prodigal son. He, Jesus also shares with us the promise of the father in the book of Luke, in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He lays that out for us. And then we get to the book of John. Now, Matthew was 44. Mark was in there a few times, 20 times or so, and uh, Luke 21 times. But we get to the book of John, a presentation by the Holy Spirit through John the writer. 134 times he uses the word Father, and 112 of them show the intimacy of the relation of Christ and his Father, and the relation of Christ with us and the relationship of us with the father through christ john lays out for us the deity of jesus christ and his oneness with the father as the son of god and then john tells us about our calling in christ from the father when you add in the book of first john the book of second john 130 times basically john writes about the relationship and the presence of the father and shows us a new perspective of the father not that distant uh, mountain sinai experience that smoke and fire covered the mountain and the people were afraid to hear the words of god but a relationship where god desires communication with you god desires to hear your heart desire god desires to hear what hurts you God desires to hear what you need. And before you even ask, Jesus said in Matthew, he already knows what you need. Notice I said need, not want. You know, if you're wanting that old Cadillac Escalade and you think you can just tell God you need a Cadillac Escalade, good luck. That's prosperity gospel. It's not in this book. Okay? That's something man makes up to get around the corner. John, the most prolific writer by God's Holy Spirit, reminds us of the Father's place in our being in who we are, in our salvation, our relationship with Christ, our relationship with others, and even more importantly, our relationship with a lost world. He says, don't be surprised when the world hates you. In fact, I'd like to turn that a little bit so I see the other side of it. Is I would say, "Be weary, be wary when the world loves you. If you find yourself in acceptance with the world and a lost world, and they are applauding you, and they're patting you on the back, and they're saying, boy, you're just the best person ever, and you're just wonderful, and oh, you do so many good things, get concerned. Because Jesus said they would have a different reaction. But we all like to be buttered up a little, don't we? We all like to get a little pat on the back and sometimes the world will provide that and that's because Satan knows what reaches into our flesh. Satan knows what attracts our flesh. He knows what makes us feel good and he's gonna use that all the time. I have some thoughts about the Father here. God the Father is an active Father. He is not an absentee Father. I deal in my job daily with absentee fathers. it's one of the first questions I come to when I get into a custody situation is who's the father and where is he? Does he have legal custody? Is he a part of this child's life? Uh, Who's the mother? Does she have that relationship? But more importantly, I'm looking for that father relationship. And 90% of the time, 99% of the time that I run into a child situation, a juvenile that's out of control, a juvenile that's running amok, a juvenile that's uh, on his way to killing somebody, he's missing a father. He has an absentee father that's just abandoned him. God is also not a stone-giving father. Does anybody know what I'm talking about there? A stone-giving father? Mark instead of bread you give him the stone? Yeah, Jesus said, "Your father," and he was telling about God the Father. He says, what father among you would give your child a stone if they asked for bread? Isn't it interesting that Satan, in his first temptation of Christ, asked him to do what? Flip it around. Let me tell you what. Satan's going to sell you something that looks good, but it's just going to be rocks. It's just going to be a weight around your neck. Jesus Told us his father is not a stone-giving father. He's not. If you ask for a fish, he's not going to give you a serpent. He knows what we have need of before we ask. He's also not a compromising father. What does that mean? What's a compromising father? I see kids with yeah with their families and. Uh, they holler and scream, and the, the poor mom's sitting there. There's no dad involved in most of these. And the kid's screaming and yelling and breaking stuff. And the mom's like, hey, I'll give you, I'll give you some ice cream. I'll give you an Xbox. Uh, you can have more TV time. Here's the telephone. Just, just be quiet a little. Why don't you play with this or do with that? And what does those kids need? They don't need compromise. That's what's happening there. What they need is to know that there is a rule And they need to know that there's a line, and if they cross it, there's a consequence. And that is what the book of Proverbs tells us love is. A father who fails to discipline his children hates his child and will bring him to death. That's a sad thing. And that leads us to the second part of that is the correcting father. We're reminded, somebody look it up, read the verse for me. Proverbs 3.12, someone read that verse for me. Y'all have Bibles? No. Okay. <laughs> I what it Proverbs, Proverbs 3.12. Short verse. Zach got it. For whom the Lord loves, he reproves, even as a father corrects the son in whom he delights. For whom the Lord loves, he reproves, even as a father the son in whom he delights. When you are corrected by God, you need to be thankful that God loves you enough to correct you. Because if he just let you run amok... Listen, the very premise of voodoo is that Father God created the heavens and the earth and then he let Father Satan step in and run the joint. In other words, God became an absentee Father. He created it all and then he let Satan run it. It's not a fact. That's a bad premise. Because that puts us at a distance from the Father... The best relationship with our Father, with Father God, is that He guides us, corrects us, reinforces us, and it's because of His agape love for us. It's a love that is not based on your return of love. It's a love that's not based on what you did. It's not based on uh, who you are, your race, your culture, your creed, or anything else. It's based on His character and His choice to love us. Agape love is a choice. He's also an essential father. I love the first words of the prayer. What is it? Some random father up somewhere? Is that what it says? Our Father. Who our Father. Who's speaking? Who's speaking there? Who in that prayer Jesus is teaching his disciples and he says, "In this manner pray, Our Father." Not your father, not someone else's father, not just some random father. He's talking about our father. Do you realize where that puts us, right, with Jesus? That puts us in the family. That puts us in the relationship that he has with his father, our father, And let me tell you what, that is something you can underscore in your Bible and and note to the side that the ink of adoption was written in the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ. The ink of your adoption paperwork was written in the blood of Jesus Christ. And it'll never be erased. He is an essential father. I love that God is a field leveler. There is no greater possession that any believer has. There is no lesser possession possession that any believer has than our father it's not because you're a better person you get more of our father it's not because you're a lesser person you get less of our father and unfortunately in human terms that's what often happens you've often heard people say i oh well this is my favorite child you know or you see their actions that favor one over the other i love that the father treats us all on a level playing field were washed by the blood of the lamb. If you're a part of his family, if you've been adopted in, you've been washed by the blood of the lamb. You are a child of God. His love can never be challenged. It can never be duplicated. It can never be substituted. It can never be eliminated. And unfortunately, those who reject his love will still know his love has been there and available every day till the moment they die. They will know his love, and I believe that is one thing that will haunt them through eternity. is the fact that his love was there, free, a free gift. His son given at a tremendous price for their salvation, and they rejected him. And oh, what a pain that will be. What a sorrow that will be. What a weight to carry through eternity. Man's rejection also does not change God's love as it does in human lives. Remember, our Father, in the prayer that Jesus noted, extends beyond our foolishness. It moves beyond our selfishness and our failure because in Christ, we have been brought into the family of God. In Christ, we have received the forgiveness of sins. In Christ, we have received the dwelling of the Holy Spirit within, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. It's so fitting that John would open the first words of the three small letters in the book of 1 John. You could head there if you'd like to. and to read the first four verses. He would open with these words. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life, may be full I love that God did not make his joy to be full based on our abilities based on our ability to sing the right note, play the right chord on the guitar, do the right things every day, is God will correct you when you go astray but God's love for you will never change Christ's forgiveness of your sins will not flood away it will not go away the fullness of our relationship in the body of believers lies in the living relationship with Christ. As we read a couple weeks ago in Colossians 2, 9, uh, it reminded us, For in Him, for in Christ, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. You want to know Christ? You want to know the Father? Know Christ. You want more of the Father? No more of Christ. Go to his word, learn of his nature, his character. John said that which we saw, that's which we heard, that's which we looked upon. They observed for years, three years walking with Jesus and saw every movement in his life. And he says that which we touched or handled. They got a a eyewitness perspective of Christ and who he was. And, And the Bible tells us that in Christ, the fullness of the Godhead dwells bodily. In him, in his person. John said he was from the beginning and he repeated multiple times how we saw, we heard, we looked, we touched. The word of life, Jesus Christ. Our fellowship in Christ is fellowship with the Father. It's where it begins and it's where it ends and will remain for eternity. Man in his fallen sin state has to make a decision. Man was orphaned by sin in the beginning. Adam and Eve became the first orphans on this world. They had a father. They started with a father in a perfect state and a perfect relationship. God, Jesus Christ, in the flesh, pre-incarnate, would come down and walk with them in the cool of a garden. I like to think of this garden. Now, I know the Garden of Eden was a lot better than this garden, but I'll take this for right now. But when sin entered, they became fatherless. God the Father began work again. Jesus had gone and rested on the seventh day. He had to go back to work to provide us salvation. God the Father extended that free gift of eternal life and adoption into His family through His Son, Jesus Christ. But I want you to know as well, Satan also welcomes all comers. Satan will gladly accept you into his family. All who reject Christ will find themselves under Satan's fathering. They'll learn to fulfill their lust, because that's Satan's game. They'll learn to be a murderer, because that's Satan's game. They'll learn to be a liar, because that's Satan's character and nature from the beginning. That's where he started in the garden. That's where he'll continue till the lake or the fire is his home. So choose well the father you serve. You say, well, that's kind of harsh. Aren't we all God's children? No, we were all orphans by sin. Those who are adopted in the family of Jesus Christ are now, we have a father. God is our father. Amen. And we have a relationship that will not end. But if you don't choose God, you will find Satan willing to call you by his name. Say, how can that happen? Well, in John 8, Jesus was talking to some Pharisees, the highest religious order of the day. And he told them, he said, you are of your father, the devil. The most religious, the most conservative, the most Bible understanding, uh, law reading, law abiding fellers that could be. And Jesus said, you are of your father, the devil. It's white and black, folks. There's a harsh line. It's not a gray area. It's not one foot on either side. Choose the father you will serve. When it comes to God's love, I was reminded of a good friend of mine who's now seated at the father's feet. He died, uh, I don't know, eight, ten years ago. The pastor used to get together with myself and Shamu and he, he wrote a little he wrote a little thing about the father's love and um, it came to mind as I was preparing for today and I'd like to uh, share this with you as we close the title is pulling God's hair and a love that lasts. we all know how the father loves us it's a pure clean ever-flowing fountain His love is there for us when we wake up, and it's there all during our day. His love is unfailing, unending, continual, and unstoppable. He loved us before we were born, and He loves us as we lay dying. In the natural, we can't comprehend this kind of love. So Paul said to the church at Ephesus, I'm praying for you that you would be strengthened in your inner being so that you could, quote, Grasp how high and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. In another place, Paul describes for us what agape love looks like. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, it always perseveres. Love never fails. That is how the Father treats us. He is patient with us. He is kind. He is not easily angered. He does not keep a scorecard of our failures. Instead, He removes any record of them, as we confess and forsake them. He is not waiting for us to fail. Instead, He is pulling for us to win. He is always looking out for us. His love never runs out. In the heat of our summer, the wellspring of His love won't run dry. That's just how agape is. And so, because He loves us, we love Him. We come to church. We sing praises to Him. We remember his kindnesses. We thank him for the mercies that he has shown us. He is the good God, and we acknowledge his goodness. And as good as that is, as wonderful as it is to enter into the presence of the one who loves us with praise and adoration, there is a love that the Father asks of us that is different than our loving response. There's two kinds of love at work here. One is agape and one is phileo. One is not a better kind of love than the other. It's not an issue of God's love versus man's love. The two kinds of love are just different. Phileo basically says, I love you because you are lovable. This is the kind of love that says, I love you because you've forgiven my sins, given me a new life, and have made it so that I can live with you forever. It's the same kind of love a husband thrives on. Oh, honey, you put your dirty clothes in the laundry basket. You mowed the lawn and changed the baby. My hero. Phileo is the kind that responds to love. Agape is different. Agape doesn't respond. Agape acts. Agape is a willful choice to do good towards the other person. Agape is the kind of love that God requires of husbands. My wife knows that I've been called to love her no matter what. It doesn't matter if she has gray in her hair. I can't take into account if hormones and humans might tip her day in the wrong direction. I'm not called to respond to her. I'm called to always be loving towards her. My love for her is not based on what she does for me. My love for her is based on a choice. And 1 Corinthians 13 spells out what that love is to look like. I'm not allowed to let it fail. Agape never fails. This is what Jesus spoke of when He said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and all your mind. The Father asks of us that we agape Him. There's nothing wrong with phileo. To respond to the good things the Father has done is pleasing to Him. But the bedrock of our relationship has to be based on a love that says, I choose to do good toward you and to treat you with love. That is agape. Peter had to learn to do this after he failed Jesus so miserably. There is a wonderful picture of the agape of Christ and an accurate picture of the phileo of Peter that can be seen when Jesus restored Peter. This took place on the rocky shores of Galilee when Jesus asked Peter, Do you love me? An English-language Bible translates the meeting like this. When they had finished eating jesus said to simon peter simon son of john do you truly love me more than these yes lord he said you know that i love you jesus said feed my lambs again jesus said simon son of john do you truly love me he answered yes lord you know that i love you jesus said take care of my sheep the third time he said to him Simon son of John do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time do you love me? He said Lord you know all things you know that I love you. Jesus said feed my sheep. That's John chapter 21. But in the Greek the exchange goes like this. Peter do you agape me with a love I can count on? Lord you know I phileo you. You are the Messiah. Peter, do you agape me and always treat me as you should? Lord, you know that I phileo you and thank you for calling me. Peter, do you phileo me? Lord, you know I phileo you. If you keep reading, you will see that Jesus does not rebuke Peter for his lack of agape. It's almost as if Jesus is saying, it's enough. I accept what you have to give me and this can be our starting point. What I want you to see though, is a love that says to God, I love you because you have been so good to me, does not last. Don't get me wrong. Father loves to receive worship and praise and adoration, thanksgiving and all the hosannas we can muster up. But what happens when life seems to go south and God can't be found. How am I supposed to respond when the Messiah is crucified by the hated hated occupiers of my country, the Romans? Where is God who loves me when the young son who I dearly love lies broken in my arms after being hit by a speeding drunk driver? Why should I love a God who couldn't keep me from being laid off just when I was beginning to crawl out from the crushing weight of all my doctor bills? And this is where Agape comes in. Agape says, I choose to love you no matter what. When I was a little boy of about eight, I had a new baby sister whom I dearly loved. Trish would sit on my knee and she had something she loved to do as well. She pulled my hair. She would smile and coo and bounce and pull my hair. Did it hurt? Of course it hurt. There's a real live kid on the end of those follicles. Couldn't I stop her? Of course I could. I was in the second grade for crying out loud. I let her because I love her. I'm glad that my mom made Trish stop. Mom said, son, if you let Trish pull your hair, I will have to spank her. Now at 65 years old and 58, our relationship is better because of it. But what does my hair pulling baby sister have to do with God? Here's the bottom line. Father wants us to agape him. He wants us to love him with a love that never fails. No matter what we see going on around us, we're to love him with a love that says, I believe you are up to something good in all of this. He wants us to be patient with him. Just like he treats us with ongoing kindness, he wants us to be kind to him. Can we pull his hair, so to speak? Of course we can who hasn't become impatient with God or become angry with him or doubted his goodness did it hurt him just know this there's a real live person on the other end of the follicles when you pray you're speaking to a God who asked you to treat him with agape love with the same kind of love that he gives to us he asks you to love him 1 John 4:10 says in this is agape not that we agape love but that he agaped us. And Jesus said to him, You shall agape the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the love you have lavished upon us, love we don't understand. We try our measly best with the Falejo love because you saved us. Because you are with us, your presence is around us. You hear our prayers, all the things that you do for us. But Lord, help us to step to that choice that I will love you no matter what happens around me. I will love you if in the darkest day on this earth, I will love you as I stare death in the face. I will love you because you have loved me with that love first. You're a good father. You're the best father. You're an essential father to me. You are not an absentee father. You're a father who will spank me when I need it. Correct me and wrap me in your love to know that it is for my good and for my benefit. I remember Paul's words that you will not stop with us. He's confident in this very thing that he who has begun, Jesus Christ who has begun a good work in us will complete it until his day. So Lord, as we face the world around us, the challenges of the world around us and life around us, remind us we have the best Father. Remind us we have a relationship with you through your Son. You're not a distant God in some far tabernacle, but Jesus tore the veil so that we could be right in the throne room of heaven. And someday when our breath is at our last and our heartbeat stops, And our brain activity ceases on this earth and our body's nothing but an old tent lying on the ground. We will be face to face with you in your glory and at your son's feet. Thank you, Jesus, that we have that promise and we have that future. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for this opportunity to share in your word and your love. May we always be thankful and grateful for the father we have. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. Amen. A little hot up here. I can't see you because there's a glare. (laughs)